0: what is up everybody welcome back to another episode of the rewired soul podcast it's your host chris and we have a bonus episode for you today and although this guest is an author we decided to do a little bonus episode because the guest is virginia heffernan all right and i found out she is somebody else who got sober a while back. We almost have uh, similar birth dates, which you will hear us talk about in this conversation. But those of you who are unfamiliar with Virginia, uh, I've been following her writing for a while. She is an incredible writer. She's a journalist. She talks about tech and culture but she also dives into some politics and social issues and all that she's a phenomenal writer and i love reading her stuff because it inspires me and like it gives me some nice tips and tools on how to improve my own writing but the way she looks at different situations going on is really unique and then when i found out she's in recovery i'm like you know what i bet virginia and i but have a great conversation. So in this conversation, Virginia shares a little bit of her story, uh, how, you know, uh her addiction to alcohol and substances kind of, you know, spiraled to her rock bottom and how she got sober. And yeah, we talk a little bit about her recovery journey, uh, 12-step programs, our thoughts on them. And then we kind of dive into all the craziness of the world because one of the reasons I wanted to have her on is because you know when when people are sober you know we really got to pick and choose what we care about and everything like that because our recovery is extremely important so with her covering all these topics I wanted to give from her you know so even if you're not in recovery Virginia has some great suggestions on how to view you know like the political landscape all of the cultural debates going on and all of that and I really 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 enjoyed this conversation something i i love about just you know talking with other people in recovery is we have this kind of language and we can relate to certain things and even though virginia and i have never met in person we're from different parts of the country it's amazing how we can connect on that level but i think all of you are really going to enjoy this conversation virginia has a lot of knowledge and wisdom and i really really enjoyed this conversation so head down to the description um, make sure you're following virginia over on Twitter. She also has a podcast, which I've linked below. And I've also linked her book, which is called Magic and Loss, The Internet as Art, which is a book that I still need to read. So she might actually be coming back on here so we could chat about her book. But yeah, make sure you check out the description down below. And also down in the description, if you're new or if you're not yet, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at Soul. Make sure you're following and subscribed to the podcast and since we will be talking about you know mental health and recovery, make sure you check out the description because I have recently released two books that are a hundred percent free. All right, and they're a collection of my writings about mental health, addiction. Not only my personal stories, but also I use a lot of evidence based research from the books I read and all that good stuff. And they're totally free, so check that out. There's also an affiliate link for BetterHelp online therapy if you need some additional help with your mental health. That's a service that I personally use. So if you're interested, check that out. All right. But anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Virginia Teffernan. All right. Hello, Virginia. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today?
1: I'm well. Thank you, Chris, for having me.
0: I am excited to get this conversation going. And just real quick, for those of my audience who are just being introduced to you, can you let everybody know who you are, what you do, all that kind of stuff?
1: Sure. Um, my name is Virginia Heffernan, and I am a journalist, um, former academic in English, um, English literature, and then I uh, have worked at the new yorker and harper's um and written currently i write a column for i could write columns for the la times wired and the economist periodically um on tech and culture and politics actually um and uh and i have a podcast called this is critical about um critical theory
0: yeah no i was actually uh just on my morning walk i was listening uh to your episodes i, I just listened to that new one with katie Hill. that was an interesting one i haven't heard from her since all yes. that stuff went down. So, so yeah, I I'm really enjoying the podcast. That's awesome. And thank you. I yeah, I I've been familiar with some of your work, but when I saw it was a week or two ago, you did a conversation with like uh, Batya uh, and stuff, and like her, Sargon, her new, yeah. yeah, her new book just came out. Have you read her new book yet? Bad news. I've read
1: her new book. Yes, Batya. While we um, are almost diametrically opposed on most political questions, yeah. remain. Um, very close friends. Um, and so she sent me her book criticizing woke media for yeah. being, representing a threat to democracy and, um, early on, and then we debated it on intelligence squared. And then also, uh, spoke at the American enterprise Institute about it in a more, in a less debating more, um, simply collegial setting. So
0: yeah. That's been yeah. Good. I, I I enjoy that too, just seeing because that's what I try to do here on podcast, bring people on who I might disagree with and talk about their books and stuff like that. But it's good seeing people who can have conversations and be cordial in these crazy polarized times. You know yeah. what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, they're there the intelligence square debate is about civil discourse. And I, I mm-hmm. think on some sometimes I take issue with the idea that civil discourse is a goal worth getting to because they're it assumes that we have some terms we can agree on, mm-hmm. and sometimes Bati and I find our connection is subverbal. You know, to the mm. extent that I I feel like we love each other, it doesn't happen because we even agree on first principles. Mm. Um, and one one thing that we've she and I have discussed, um, you know, and she's she's a she identifies as a socialist, but it comes across as anti anti Trump. You know this mm. crowd. That, mm-hmm. uh that believes that, you know, both both parties are f- for elitists um, who condescend to the common man. And the common man is either a Trump bite or a kind of, to my mind, mythic worker from the mid century, mid century, last century. But in any case, one thing that we've discovered is neither one of us believes that the other believes her views.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: so there's a kind of mutual incomprehension because. I feel like on some level, I believe that if you woke Bhatti up in the middle of the night, she would disavow, you know, she would say, of course, I don't believe any of that. She feels the same about me. Yeah. So that, so on the level of belief, I'm not sure that we can find common ground. On the level of just, you know, animal being, mm-hmm. we're completely aligned.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's, you know, that's where we, we kind of connect, you know, because, and we're going to jump into like some, like some brighton talk in a minute too, but yes. I've had to start seeing people as just like, where's our commonalities and stuff like that. And yeah. especially when I wanted to run away, but before, before we jump into that, because the other day, and I, I, since I have an audience of a lot of readers and I read a ton too, how, what's your reading habit like? Cause the other day when we were talking a little bit about your new, uh, uh, Trump book P's and stuff, I was like, how many of these books have you read? And you're like yeah. 15, 20. I'm like, oh my God. So, uh. What What's your reading have it like on a yearly basis, monthly basis? How often do you read?
1: that's a, that is a good question. And it's probably um, you know, maybe fewer books annually than almost ever in my life, although the, the the during trump times, um because those the books I read were you know largely for work. um yeah, so to review and discuss, um they're probably maybe twenty five and four. Leisure reading, I don't know, maybe four or five. Oh,
0: really? So it's yeah. a lot of work reading. Does that it's, get yeah, boring although, and
1: rough? You know, it bleeds together because, for instance, I'm late getting to David Graeber's book Debt: The First Five Thousand Years. Um, David Graeber is an anthropologist and an anarchist who died during the pandemic, and uh, I realized when he died that I'd have to really needed to go back and understand who who he was. Um, since he's no longer on the planet, um, you know there were some. There's some people that I just think, well, they'll write more, and I'll read them later. And yeah. now that he's not writing more, I wanted to go back. So anyway, I'm reading Depth: The First Five Thousand Years through my little library app Libby. Um, yeah. So I got to sign it out, and uh, and so that's an example of reading for for pleasure. But you know, I, I it'll almost definitely inform some writing
0: yeah it, it it's weird too with like uh we're reading for pleasure and for work because since starting this podcast since uh you know typically it's just authors and their books and everything, and since this has been growing at publishers and authors just throwing stuff at me, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, just give it to me and I'm starting to realize that I gotta dial that back because I'm forcing myself to read books, and I'm just like this is boring, I'm not interested, you know what I mean, yeah. so I'm trying to balance it out and be a little bit more uh strict and you know who i who i agree to so i would be a little bit more upfront like hey i'll start reading it and then i'll let you know how how that goes you know
1: yes yes that's good i mean i um yeah reading katie hill's book or i had montel williams on the on this is critical not long ago and um i was reading kind of both of their memoirs montel williams has several books out but i read mostly the the big memoir and um while both of them are extremely interesting, Mm -hmm. it did occur to me periodically, why with all the books in the world, why am I reading, you know, these books that are pretty soon going to be out of print, you know?
0: Yeah. So let me, let me ask you this since, uh, you know, when you're reading like a a memoir biography, because I don't really like those types of books Mm -hmm. and maybe it's because I'm like really into like just psychology and behavior. And if I read just like one person's book and just that's their point of view. The entire yeah. time, I'm just questioning, and like you're a journalist, right? So I'm yeah. questioning. I'm like, how much is true? How much is biased, How much, you know, are you filtering yeah. and stuff? Does that kind of get to you? Do you get in your head as you're reading that stuff mm-hmm. and question a lot of things?
1: um I mean, one thing from from the rooms of alcohol of of, of recovery, the twelve step rooms, I just really got interested in how people tell their offer their experience, strength, and hope, mm. and. Most memoirs, good ones, take that shape, you know, yeah, so you assume that they might be spiking up as we do the experience, the kind of drunk-a-log part, making it yeah. a little more exciting than it was, making the turning point more dramatic than it was, and yeah. making you know and making the end more complete you know than it is yeah. um, but since since we you know both know the way the form works mm. um. I can, I, I'm sorry. I've got something ringing. (laughs) Um, so, you know, I, I feel very, um, I feel pretty confident that I can, um,
0: filter off some of them them off. off. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And and identify, not compare, you know? Yeah.
0: So speaking, speaking of, that's a great transition. So let's, let's talk because, uh, during your conversation with body, I was like, oh, Virginia's in recovery too. So give me a little bit of your story like what my spirit (laughs) strength yep exactly
1: (laughs) um what this is i mean i don't know that i've ever even qualified a a little bit on in a public forum but so i'll um but i will keep it pretty short um i grew up in a hard drinking but partying you know cocktail party family Mm. um so uh, you know, there was a lot of intrigue, um, in, at the cocktail parties and I loved listening from, you know, the other room or serving our derives and seeing like who was flirting with whom and who might be bisexual and who, you know, who seemed sloppy and, um, and I wanted to be part of that. And I've heard other kids do this, but I started before I could drink, I would spin, you know, spin around to try to oh, like get yeah, yeah um and um and then pretty soon i found um i tried to find things that you could get it over the counter that could at like cold medicines and mm-hmm. stuff that could combine for interesting effects and then started drinking with my friends sometimes i think that i like was the exerter of peer pressure instead of the, instead of the like you know person that gets peer pressured yeah um i uh shoplifted beer i like to be the person that was um kind of doing the taking the risk i sort of thought people would like me more if i was the one like making everybody's fake IDs or you know going to i don't know somehow i just thought if i threw myself into it that i would like be better part of the group yeah um and then um and then in college, I went to a college with lots of fraternities, and I just didn't like that style of drinking by then because mm-hmm. I had done a lot of that in high school and Coke in high school. So I switched to kind of drugs and like more outsider kind of things, you know, like mm-hmm. ecstasy or hallucinogens or, mm. but I was still drinking a lot, but it had to be wine or whatever, not keg beer.
2: Yeah.
1: And then, um, and then it seemed like I was drinking like everyone else, you know, when I got to New York, but like, as soon as I stopped drinking, everyone pointed out that they'd only tried to keep pace with me, you know, because they, yeah. um, they were, you know, cause I set a high bar. Um, and then it was just screwed up as things in my marriage were dissolving and there were question marks in my career and I had little children It started before that, but I really was, it got into pills. Um, so, um, just like mother's little helper stuff, you know, like just the, the combination of Xanax, um, or, you know, Benzos, opiates and, um, Ambien, you know, and like the, the, um, the sleeping pills that like really can hasten the demise of your marriage. Yeah. You you know, you just start doing really weird things and like making peanut butter, butter sandwiches every (laughs) night million, peanut butter, butter, peanut butter, butter. I just was I've, like, I've never yeah. tried that.
2: <laughs> no, yeah.
1: And it like, yeah. And I would just say to myself, I won't regret this. I will not regret this because I just didn't like, I don't know. That was the other thing. It was like, I don't know. I would like try to defend against regret. Um, and so the week I found out that my, I don't know, that I was like being pushed out of one place that I like that I loved to work and I thought I would like die in that job. Mm. And, um, my ex-husband announced that he was leaving. Um, I, uh, and some of that I'll just like, I'll spare you, but it was a really bad week. And, um, I was, I don't know if you did this, but I, I used to, when things got really low, I would dress up a lot to kind of cover it. Mm. So I I just remember that I feel like I had a lot of dry bar makeup, you know, uh, uh, pedicure, manicure, like, just like, Literally. this will keep it together, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I wasn't fooling anyone. I was probably, like, a little yellow and a little too skinny. And so I had these heels on, and I left this therapy session where it had come pretty clear to me that my marriage was going to end. I had very, very little children. And I had no solutions except to double all the doses it was like it seemed like a solution like a great plan yeah it right? seems
0: genius <laughs> totally genius where
1: i just was like thinking i mean i bet you'll know this kind of thinking i was just like okay so i've got to get through the rest of my life and i've got to raise these children mm-hmm. so this is these are these doses that could match this and this is where i can get this stuff you know mm-hmm. and by then it was harder to find the higher levels of opiates so you know i was down to Vicodins and Percocets that I could like maybe graze or steal or I didn't know what. Mm-hmm. And then I was wondering if my shrink would continue to pr- prescribe Xanax. I was also ordering things online from South Africa. I
0: was really,
1: yeah. Getting uh Tylenol three, um, mm. from, um, from amazon.co.uk where like briefly there'd be things that like pill people would tell each other, like you can get yeah. it there. I, you know, And, um, and I tripped and fell on the, um, cobblestones in Tribeca, in these heels that I had on and split open my knees and was literally brought to my knees. Um, and I went and sat for a while and I made my leaving Las Vegas plan. I pictured like this boot box of like big, huge box of pills that I had kind of built. And maybe I could take that with me to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. go see you and <laughs> uh, could sit in a hotel you know like the perfect thing isolate and then it occurred to me maybe and it was like a tiny two percent possibility that there was a better option oh. this is 2011 and um I looked up Alcoholics Anonymous online I had a sober mm-hmm. friend and I thought maybe I'll check out a meeting because I have no I don't I mean get between getting the rest of those pills and whatever anyway so i found this meeting and i don't know i feel like i might be alone in this but i looked at all the abbreviations then in 2011 and they were like O for open or yeah m for men or like bb for big book Mm -hmm. and i was like this is too fucking confusing i i'm not allowed here (laughs) like who do i call you know it's like who's the like if I'm making a reservation here, what do I do? I don't know how to do it. And then mm-hmm. I I I texted a sober friend and said, What's an O meeting and a C meeting? And she was just like, go to any meeting. I don't yeah. care if it says like trans men only, you are going to a meeting. So I just found one. It turned out to, out to be a closed meeting, but you know, I had a desire to stop drinking. And I sat down that day and it just seemed like this won't take. But as the meeting went on Mm. and people said things that I now know to be the, like the cliches of the program, I was like, these are the most important philosophers. I mean, they were just like, remember one person was like, I feel restless, irritable discontent rid. And I was like, wait, I feel restless here. (laughs) And, uh, and so it stuck and that became my home group. And, uh, You know, it's as of July, it's been um, it's been 10 years Um, I had just for listeners. I had trouble sleeping in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Some of the physical stuff was really hard in those 90 days. But I Mm -hmm. also felt like um, my life was going so bad outside the rooms Mm -hmm. that I have lived in my neighborhood for a long time and I would walk around and run into friends or friends of friends who'd sort of heard of my plight. There's some other very humiliating components to it that, you know, subject of kind of gossip and I thought humiliation and people just looked at me with like enormous concern when I came up and, um, and then I would go in the rooms and say, you know, I've got two days and people burst into applause. And I yeah. was like, I think I'll stay here. You know, I think I'll stay here because out of the rooms, I am like a disaster. You know, yeah. my life is a catastrophe. And in here, I'm at least building up these days, you know, and people are like, yay, we're so happy to see you. So I just kind of went for all that. And like, and, um, you know, someone said, go where it's warm. And I just Ooh. loved this meeting. And I just, you know, would kind of follow my feet to it every day. and. uh And I had really early on a pink cloud that was almost like um, less like regular joy and more like I had found a way out of a certain set of grooves in my brain. Like I pictured Mm. that I was like, there was this Google mapped part of my brain that I was really familiar with, you know, like all these, all these roots and neurons and whatever that I was so used to following. Uh And that all of a sudden I was off in a part of my brain that was just like deep space and I could just go anywhere, you know, Mm -hmm. like I actually felt sort of like I was just walking through the world and I was like, I could go north, south, east, west at any time, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: And when I went home to the kids, I was like, you know, you got to get and make dinner for them and you have to start paying the mortgage yourself. And I was like, I just was like a, um, ghost or something. I could just, instead of, it would occur to me that I could make things easy. So instead of making a dinner, I remember making Miss Annie's macaroni and cheese for the kids in the microwave. It was like,
2: oh as, yeah.
1: it was not even just macaroni and cheese with the powder. It was macaroni and that took a minute in a little cup. Oh, every second of it, it, maybe not even a minute, every second of the thing. Like, 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 I remember it was like 30 seconds or something. And I would press the 30 and think the three and think like, it's too hard to move to the zero. I'm just going to do 33,
2: you know, press
1: the theme button. And I was like magic wow, this isn't overcooked, you know? Yeah. And I was like, how am I going to pay my mortgage? How am I going to pay my mortgage? And then it took only a few keystrokes to like set up my account to automatically pay the mortgage. Yeah, and There were sort of magic things like that that like conserved a lot of, um, I don't know, life force or something. Mm-hmm. Like so I could walk to a meeting, you know? It yeah. was, as someone said at an early meeting, they were like, you're just following your nose, right? I could tell yeah and i'm like um
0: yeah i'm just following my news yeah that that's awesome and like so now i'm pure t that's over july 2011 what what what's like your date what's your birthday
1: oh uh july 2nd
0: I, yeah that, that's good so i got my my sobriety date is june 23rd 2012 so almost like wow. just right yeah oh. a year after yeah, and that's actually like my regular birthday too. I got sober on my birthday.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Said you like gone out the night before to celebrate or something? Uh, and
0: then- no, no. My, my, yeah. Like, so what ended up happening about a month before I was here in Vegas destroying my life. My mom, my mom's also in recovery. She was sober about seven years. Wow. And uh, yeah, about, A few weeks before that, she got a call because I was going to the emergency room every other week because I was swelling up from my alcohol and pills and everything. And they got a call and they said, hey, your son might not live through the night. You better come down here. So she came down. She ended up taking me back to Fresno, California with her. I brought pills with me because I wasn't going to get sober. But yeah, just the way it happened, she, she, uh, looking back on it now, she serendipitously found my pills and said, you're either getting sober or you're going back to Vegas where you're going to be homeless and it just happened to line up right on my birthday so it's it's easy to remember (laughs) the day
1: yes amazing I mean right and they call it birthday in the program so yeah you just got you just got one it's like pressing three three instead of moving to the zero you do it all at once it's nice now
0: too because I I was 27 and now I'm 36 so now like I'm getting older but Rather than be like, oh no, I'm older. I'm like, okay, well, at least I got another year. So it kind of balances out the oh, it sucks you're gonna oh, get Yeah, older. that's
1: a good point. That yeah. yeah, July 2nd is actually my birthday's August 8th. So yeah, it's mm. not not far. Um, but just even thinking of you a year later when, you know, maybe I was qualifying for the first time and you in 2012 and you were there coming in. It's just like this wonderful sense of connection. Yeah. You know, to everyone. Um You know, you look out in the world and it doesn't look like anyone's at a bottom. It always looked like only I was, Mm. you know, had this like unclear head and was stumbling. And then you find out that there's this like beautiful secret language that everyone that lots of people speak that. Yeah, uh, that you speak and that you've been looking for those people. And And so.
0: Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. that'll that'll just never not be amazing to me because you know this is our for, first time having like an in depth conversation and we could connect yes. on that level and that's something that could, you know because most of my life it felt disconnected from yes. everybody. Then you go yes. in, you start familiarizing yourself, and then you you go to different states and different countries and you meet oh, people, yeah. and it's like you know we 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 get it. And you know, uh, so I have a son too. He was he was actually three when I got sober. How how old were your kids?
1: Oh, so um. My daughter was almost two mm. and my, um, son was five. Um, mm. and th- my son vaguely remembers coming, like, you know, I, I almost always had like a tumbler or like a water glass of this screw top white wine. Cause I yeah. feel like cold white wine, screw top, all of it happened easily. <laughs> it just went mm-hmm. down easily. You could drink it fast. Um, and I always had this thing and he, he, as a little kid would say, is that what a a wine? Cause he wanted to take a sip of it. Always. Um, wine So he sort of remembered that my daughter doesn't remember it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, you probably remember like at bath time, like, I don't know, there were just a couple of times where I would put my little daughter in the bath and then just, you know, make sure I had enough to drink and like, just feel like I was nodding during Mm -hmm. the bath, you know? Yeah. And, um, and one time I think I stumbled and kind of dropped her, almost dropped her. Like you'd get a flash, like, this is not good, you know? Yeah. This yeah. is not good. And, uh, yeah. So, so
0: it's, let, let me ask you this too, because, you know, it, it's, it's weird how few parents I know. Actually, one of my best friends, I helped him get sober a few years later and he's a parent. But, yeah. uh, so for you and just, you know, I, I notice a lot of people just, you know in recovery or not a lot of people have trouble forgiving themselves right like as soon as you say that i get these flashbacks of just you know drinking and using around my son and stuff like that and you know whatever but you know i've been sober nine you've been sober 10 like what what was the process like forgiving yourself is it something you still actively work on when you think about it and you know
1: i think i bought the idea that this was like a wonderful thing to do for your kids um i, I mean in addition to you that i mean mm-hmm. mostly because you'd be modeling something new mm-hmm. so the second things changed i thought like I, th- I just sort of i don't know i gave myself credit for yeah. i think early on my um sponsor said what do you want for your kids and there were. A bunch of things and she said then do those things for yourself mm. and there's so many things that come with sobriety and so many so much in the design for living that felt like um good mothering you yeah. know like even better than i had been striving for do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it opened up new vistas of how i could be a mother um, yeah. and so i was so busy like ama- being amazed that I was showing up for my kids and like kind of meeting them for the first time with a clear bloodstream and a clear mind. Um, and then just as far as the actual drinking goes, unlike men, you know, most of us or many of us don't drink in our pregnancies and Mm -hmm. even don't drink when we were nursing. So in my case, Mm. so I didn't, um, so. I had just started drinking again with Susie, with my daughter. Um, because I had been nursing before that. I mean, I had, of course not been completely dry in any way, yeah. but I had been pretty careful, um, mm. you know, not to anyway. So, so those are some things, I guess I don't feel guilty. I don't know why. I mean, I've done a ton of fourth and fifth steps yeah, uh, and I guess tried to release some of that, yeah. Um, I was really interested in and made a lot of friends with people who felt like they had actually lost their children, like their children had died or their children had been kind of taken by the state or they only had supervised visitations, which it wasn't my situation, but my panic around like losing the kids in some kind of custody battle or losing the kids to my negligence, Mm -hmm. um, you know, was... Something I really wanted to, a fear I really wanted to address and let lift.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too. Like you mentioned like the fourth and fifth sets and those listening who are unaware, right? Like we, you know, we write down our, you know, all of our things that we've done and <laughs> the way people yes. have affected us. Then we we get rid of it. Well, uh, as you're not supposed to do, there was one thing, there was one thing that I was holding on. Oh just yeah. Forever, just never told yeah. my sponsor, never told anybody Yeah, And finally it was, so it was like this, this one piece of guilt, right? It was this secret that I just wasn't going to tell anybody. And finally, one day I knew my mom could relate. My mom didn't get sober until I was 20. And one day I was driving home just right after that memory came back in my head. I called my mom. I'm like, mom, I haven't told anybody this. This is what I have done. And she's, and she just, you know, she laughed about it because she did. She's like, I did way worse things. And you're a kid. And I swear ever since then ever since then it's like this way this was like a few years ago so I was like six years old and I was yeah. holding on to this this thing and you know so yeah so that was the one thing I was holding and now it's, it's a lot better so I've been able to get past it a lot more that
1: moment you know where the thing that you did would kind of like shock or your your sort of civilian friends your normie friends <laughs> but that does not shock you know I mean we f- I feel like we're alone here, so of course I've like tempted to disclose some of the worst things that I only got to later but um I like at one point i one that I held on to was that i hit hit someone, you know mm. and um, it just wasn't consistent with who I thought I was, so i was yeah. had always been like wishing it away
2: mm-hmm. and
1: then, um, you know, I finally said it, and my sponsor said sort of what your mom said like. Oh God! Like that yeah. would you know? Um, and um, that's been amazing to release yeah. that because it was something that I had done so much work to repress and contextualize and worse, justify. Mm-hmm. You know the whole like he had a coming.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and um, and then once I stopped doing all that, it was like, well, you you probably can tell. My favorite slogan is "Easy does it." Yeah. Like just. It, it, like, and I, I thought I would move beyond it to some of the harder mm-hmm. ones, you know, the like moral serious, moral serious ones, but I've always held on to easy does it. It's like, make this as easy on yourself as possible and no longer trying to justify why that moment of violence was, was, you know, noble or, no you know, self-defense or whatever. No, no longer trying to do that. Just taking, keeping my side of the street clean Yeah, was like, Wow. So much less work,
2: right? You know, yeah. so
1: much less work than like, pre- like making sure no one finds out. Making sure if they find out, I have like a prepared script of why it was great. You know, yeah. You sort of see this in Me Too incidents, and nobody. Whoa. I'm not taking anybody's inventory, but like, you know, when they have a script set up that like they didn't mean it or they what you know, like yeah. I just think to myself how much easier it would be, you know, to say like I was sort of I don't know I did this with Brett, Brett Kavanaugh. I was like man, if that guy just said, I was an idiot as a teenager, I had no idea what I was doing sexually. I didn't feel comfortable in my own mm-hmm. skin. And, um, you know, we'd all identify. And then I came on so strong because I had no idea how to approach a woman. And, you know, this is like, I owe an amends for this. Yeah. You would maybe say, you know what? You could go on the Supreme Court, yeah. right? Yeah, And, um, and, and, and but but then the amount of work basically that I see people doing who don't have a program and who don't yeah. have a design for work.
0: So that see that's that's great. See, and this is one of the reasons I'm so glad we're chatting because uh, you know it, with situations like Brett Kavanaugh and, and you cover like culture and, and situations happening like something I, I joke about and you know it's just like I, I'm almost glad that I'm an addict alcoholic and I found a program because. Now yeah. I'm honest. Now I, you know, I, I you know when I'm wrong, I promptly admit it, I do all these things, yeah. right? Yeah. And I see these other people, I'm like, man, things to be so much easier. But here's the question, because before yeah. we hopped on, we were talking a little bit about uh, you know, internet pylons and stuff. And yeah, yeah. here's the thing, because I get what you're saying about Brett Kavanaugh. It's like me and you maybe be like, hey, hey, cool, right? But it seems, it seems like there's so many stories where something comes up from the past. And it ruins somebody, right? Like me, I, I feel like those of us in recovery, like I've changed so much. I used to be a, just a piece of shit nine years ago, right? And I've changed so much. So I see that in others. I'm like, okay, you can change. But uh, for some reason, the, the the example that keeps coming in my head is the, the jeopardy situation, right? Where this dude yeah. said something 10 years ago on a podcast, right. and this is something that happens regularly, right? So as a, as a culture, as a society, do you see that we don't really like give people like that opportunity to change and say like, oh, maybe you're different than you were X amount of years ago. Like, so is I it mean, fair to think that if they came out, it'd be, it'd be good, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I realized that the, our program is a program of, that ha- involves redemption and forgiveness, but we also can't expect to be redeemed in the um, eyes of the people we hurt. You know, yeah. like, you know, that thing where the first time you do the fourth and fifth step, you you realize that like a lot of people did owe you an apology. You know? yeah. Your sponsor is like, that's not the point here. The yeah. point here is that you owe not an apology because you've been apologizing for a long time. Like I fucked up. I'm sorry. I'm a disaster. I can't, you know, and, yeah. um, and, and not making good on it, but a real amends. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the amends is to leave the person alone. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes the amends is to, uh, you know, I had a, I had a sponsee who um, worked for an NGO and she um, just didn't do the tasks that she was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she donated to make up for the time they lost with her $10,000 to the organization anonymously mm-hmm. because she had cost them a lot of money you know, um, not doing her job and I'm not sure. And I know this is unpopular, but I've recently written a defense of cancel culture. It's pretty thankless, you know, (laughs) but I'm not sure that. And again, not everyone's an alcoholic, not everyone has to do this, but I'm not sure that like clinging, like, Oh, you know, a wolf keeping it in your teeth, you're like hanging on to the lowest rungs of the middle class or a huge platform, or, you know, you need that job on jeopardy. Um, mm. and, um, is sort of sober, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that you make the amends and confront the thing in your past is not to hold on to the cash and prizes you had before. Right. Yeah. Like you don't, you aren't just like you're, you're, making a step toward a new, you know, you have to change everything. Like my mm. friend Anna Marie Cox, who is out about her sobriety, says about some of the people caught up in me too, who were very disappointed to lose their pretty high profile jobs. It's not the worst thing to lose your job. Yeah. You know, lots of us lost our jobs. I lost <laughs> my, you know? Yeah, I've lost I, many I, a job. <laughs> I've lost many a job, right? And, you know, I'm not sure that, and again, I'm not, I I don't know how many of these people see themselves as, you know, in that moral crisis that we Mm -hmm. were in, Um, but um, for them, you know, there's this wonderful, um, wonderful kind of sober theorist figure who says that,
2: (sighs) When you look at someone who, say, committed a violent crime, Mm -hmm.
1: imagine that you had committed that crime. And what would you want for yourself? If I were being violent, and I was at this time, Mm. I would want to be restrained so I didn't do that to myself again. Mm -hmm. Right? And in the case of very violent crimes, what you want for them is what you want for yourself, which might be imprisonment. Yeah. You know? And, um, and what I wanted for Brett Kavanaugh, when he was talking say, and again, I really don't want to take the other people's inventory, but just looking at him, I was thinking, what would I want in his situation? Because I identify with him. Mm. I wasn't like some, you know, some like sexual virtuoso when I was 16, yeah. I, you know, I was a wreck too. And, and what did I most think I wanted years later? a huge career where I could keep loving beer and get tons of accolades and just skate through and have no one know. Right. And sometimes I needed to be told, Virginia, maybe now is not the time that you sit on the Supreme Court. Maybe it's (laughs) not the time for you to get a Pulitzer Prize, which would continue to allow you. Maybe it's not the time that you can keep pretending you have a great marriage. Right. Maybe now's the time you get divorced. Maybe now's the time you get fired. Maybe now's the mm-hmm. time you don't get on the freaking Supreme Court so yeah. that you can take a minute to figure out what it means when you say, I like beer a hundred times, what it means when you, you know, aren't, haven't confronted, haven't confronted so much that you deny it ever happened. Yeah, thing that seems to have happened in your, youth.
0: Yeah. You it's- it's it's so interesting too. Just yeah, like when I when I you know got in the rooms, I just remember for for the longest time I was one of those people where I waited forever to get a sponsor and everything. I just sat there yeah. and I listened. I was feeling it out. Still wasn't sure if it was a cult or anything, you know. Yeah. But uh, I remember hearing stories of people who who did make amends that would either uh that would potentially put them in jail or potentially lose them a job or potentially get them a divorce and i heard these acts and like i realized like oh well you know like there's this fear that we have to get past because it's like it's for us and so we can go to sleep at night and all these other things and like you're saying like you know, I realized I was a control freak, right? Like when we're talking about like, maybe now's not the time that I get this or this accolade or this position. That's what I had to realize. And, you know, when I got sober, I, I was way up here. I was in my addiction. I was making more money than I'd ever made. Right. And when I got sober, I went all the way down to the bottom. And, but I was, I was happy and I was sane without the stuff and without the, without the baggage and the things I was hiding. And, you know, and again, too, like as parents, it's like, what. What do we want for our children? What do we want to model for them? What do we, you know, and stuff like yeah. that. So there's so many, and and finally, I was just no, like, that okay, was, well, yeah, yeah, that was.
1: I mean, that was so beautifully said. That you, you know, in a way, how out of our minds were we to think that we just needed to continue to gouge out of life everything that we could get and stuff it in our mouths, you yeah. know? And also that, like, that it's just only about winning, you know? I mm-hmm. like the first time I heard the expression winning was from charlie sheen when he was yeah, defending his yeah. <laughs> tiger blood and his like am- whatever saying ambient is the devil's candy or whatever yeah. and um and he was like no this is winning you know and i was thinking of the times that i you know just some terrible terrible times where to get through it i had to tell myself that it was winning you know oh. just do a total inversion like I know this looks bad but those people are just being moralists you know mm-hmm. what it I'm like you know I I was a person that was drawn to cocaine say and not to marijuana so I wasn't mm-hmm. one of those nice open-minded people I was one of those like I got to win yeah. you know that oh, yeah. everyone hates yeah. and when I dropped like when I questioned the thought I have to win like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. you know, I'm like a person that could, I, you know, I was, yeah. So I'm not sure that the thing, the way that forgiveness might really work for, um, you know, someone who used racist language or someone who, you know, committed some Me Too offense. I'm not sure that the forgiveness is to give them the prize that they want. Mm. which only extends. I mean, that's why like ours, we don't give our sponsees money, you know, mm-hmm. we don't give our spot. We don't set our sponsees up with like a new hot wife. Yeah. We don't even tell them they must keep their marriage together or we're going to, you know, help them get yeah. a job. I mean, those are the way, you know, because we're in it for, on a different scale. It's not winning and losing in a market economy
2: yeah. when you
1: come to AA. Like, that's why it, it's the last stop on the block. You're so, not, you know, they always say you're not winning when you come to a church basement and sit in a chair and start talking <laughs> about, about, yeah. about, of all things, freaking God. You yeah, know? It's exactly.
0: Embarrassing.
1: It's embarrassing. That's meant to be.
0: Yeah. So, well, let me ask you this, because I think this is my concern on a larger level, because when I look at uh, when I look at just some of the cancel culture and stuff like that, but also. Uh, you know, last year when all the BLM stuff blew up, uh, I, I often tell the story, but I read, uh, so I started reading all these books. I read like Debromex Kendi's book. I read Robin D'Angelo's book. She has a new book out this year. I read them and I was just like, okay, because I'm half black and I'm like, I must be missing something. I started talking more, more with my family, getting their experiences. But anyways, uh afterwards, I saw these criticisms of people like Robin and Ibram, and then I read Robin's uh, new book this year. And I saw, and it felt like, it felt like putting people in a lose-lose scenario, like, no matter what you do, you're always going to be white and racist. I'm like, eh, okay, because what I started thinking about was people in recovery, right? somebody Mm -hmm. walks into a 12-step program uh, or when I was working at a treatment center, I imagine somebody walking in. And if I told them like, you're a drug addict, you're always going to be a drug addict. Nothing's going to change. Even if you get sober, you're still that person. Right. And I think if somebody said that to me, I'm like, okay, well, I'm never going to change. So in this larger context, I'm curious your thoughts on that since, you know, you're, you're constantly keeping an eye on like culture and stuff going on. Do you ever get that concern that we're sending out a message that, if if we're gonna if we're gonna punish you for who you were, are we sending out a larger message to people who might be in a dip, it like might be a piece of shit right now and saying why change? Because if this ever comes back up, you're screwed anyways. So where's the incentive? You know? Because I get it for me yeah. and you, it's like it's not for the accolades, it's not for the forgiveness, but mm-hmm. most of the world isn't getting that lesson that you and me are getting because we are not You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, I I mean that's interesting that you're half. Black and has so many, I mean, Robin D'Angelo is interesting on it too, isn't she? On biracial, you know, that it like really comes down to how you look. I mean, we are as primitive as that, you know? So if Mm -hmm. you code as Black, then, you know, anyway, the, the, my cheap thought about people who resist critical race theory or some idea that there's like systemic racism of which they're a part and anyone
2: who you know anyway let me back up one thing that aa is
1: i think especially beautiful and mind expanding the one way it is is those things is are all the paradoxes Mm. so the day i stopped drinking is the day i said my name is Virginia and I'm an alcoholic, right? I wasn't or didn't see myself as an alcoholic until that moment. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment where I stopped drinking. So there is for some of us, and it's not liberating for everyone, but there is some beauty in saying, you know, I am an extremely flawed human and the signish, the only choice I have around this is to be present to it. Mm -hmm. and not no longer repress it or see it as horrible. I'm a human among humans. I'm a worker among workers. I'm not a superstar who transcends the system in some Mm -hmm. special way that I've been telling myself in my terminal uniqueness all this time. So in some ways, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm not an alcoholic, which was like, you know, my life was predicated on denying a fact that was clear to everyone, right? I was unhappier in that place than I was once I said I'm an alcoholic or I hit someone or, right? Mm -hmm. So like I've found great liberation in saying I'm a racist and not in a beat myself up way, just in a way of saying, God, what a relief. I don't have to pretend to be inhuman and like Mm -hmm. now, you know? And I don't have to pretend that it's like, there are those evil people over there who are worse than I am and, you know, we used to do with alcoholism, but once I say I'm a racist, there's an, a possibility that it will lift, mm. you know, yeah. and you won't celebrate that day. It's not like you say, oh, look, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. Even yeah. after 10 years of not drinking, it's that weird paradox, you know? And, and I think that Bill W had that the program's founder had that a little bit version of like, we're all sinners right does that mean like we can't do anything about it no it doesn't mean total determinism but it instead it means like facing our flawedness or mm-hmm. acknowledging it or saying it out loud to uh, you know a fellow human mm-hmm. is um is like this possible beautiful way to get forgiveness and to yeah. move forward as opposed to you know complicating your own um character defects by Mm -hmm. oppressing them and and pretend denying them and pretending they don't exist so that i sort of felt that way with racism also just on a funnier level um there's this uh wendy schenker has this great book called a fat girl's guide to life um Mm. from several years ago and what she says in it is that she doesn't ask It's really a great line. It's like, I don't ask if I look fat in some outfit because I'm fat, so technically I look fat in everything. And I was sort of like, what a great moment because then you don't have to worry if what you said was racist, right? Because you're not always like, oh, I have to hide the horrible truth of me that you know I'm a horrible white supremacist. No, you dial it down to who doesn't think in terms of black and white. The language is structured that way. And our field of vision is structured that way so much that like we can tell dark from light Mm -hmm. and we map all kinds of things on the dark and light distinction metaphors and whatever. And we're kind of constantly rolling swimming in that world. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean am I a white supremacist that's going to join the proud boys? No, but it definitely means like, it would be a joke to say that I don't, you know, see color or that I You know, I'm totally indifferent, or to the distinction between, in particular, mm-hmm. you know, black people or global south or you know, colonized people. Um, you know, I can recognize an Irish person that, like, I share blood with. Like, where yeah. where you know, lots of people can't tell the difference between Protestants and Catholics. I feel I can. So I'm always making these fine distinctions, and knowing that I'm making those distinctions and that they inflect what I do makes me feel less like I'm going to slip up. You know, yeah. suddenly use the N word and then have <laughs> to defend myself. It's just not happening yeah. because, you know, technical, like it's a, what a relief. Like, I don't have to be like, does my butt make me look <laughs> Do I look racist when I do this? Like, yeah. you know, because I'm sort of accepting. You know, you come into the rooms and you say, um, you know, I said, fuck you to this driver who tried to, you know, cut me off in traffic or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, I'm still the same untreated alcoholic sometimes and I'm angry and I get angry and I have, um, you know, I have a temper and that's a thing about me yeah. instead of like I said, fuck you to a guy in traffic because A, he had a coming B, I was late mm. for work and he well, stopped then. me C, he was a total dick and he was a racist or he had a Trump sticker on his car or he was a bad person. And yeah. like, one thing I know is this wasn't a case of temper. It was justified, righteous indignation. And I'm not a bad person. Yeah. I'm a great person. And like, you just don't get very far in my life. I don't get very far when I start yeah. thinking like that. Cause then I double down and I'm an unreconstructed asshole.
0: Yeah. You know? it, yeah. It's so I think that's where it's interesting. Cause I 1000% agree with you. I, I've had so many, uh, just psychologists social sci- uh, scientists on here talking about uh our biases and everything like it's talk- like they're just in yeah. us right oh, and God, uh, yeah. i i have an upcoming episode with uh celeste headley about her new book speaking of Race. and she starts off her book like hey we're all we all have some kind of wages we're all biased just put that out there you know and accept I mean,
1: even pendy starts that way too he says that yeah. you know he he really was one of those like you know black people just have to work harder take the bull by the horns and work 10 times as hard as everyone else. And then, and then came to terms with that. And um, I think I, like, it was interesting reading some, reading Candy, reading D'Angelo, reading a bunch of other things, you know, in the height of Black Lives Matter and confronting that I definitely have a talented 10th, you know, idea that it, of my, a racist idea that like, there are this kind of cream of the crop version mm-hmm. in, in one race in particular. Um, I grew up around a lot of black academics, they, my parents, colleagues. So I mm-hmm. sort of thought, you know, they would like play jazz with Winton Marsalis on the side and teach African-American studies and had tenure and won everything and wrote books. And mm-hmm. so I sort of thought like, well, there are these, I know we talk about black people and they're somewhere else, but around mm-hmm. me are like these people who are more successful than white people because they embody some other worldly thing, you know? Yeah. And, um, and that is interesting because I think I would have told myself, I'm not racist. I have a lot of black friends, for example, yeah. these Pulitzer prize winners, do you know what yeah. I mean? And, yeah. um, and that, you know, first of all, the claiming as friends,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: Ellie Mistal, who I have always thought of as a friend recently was like, I've never had you to dinner. So you're not a friend.
2: <laughs> and that's what
1: i say about white people where I was like, fuck you, but okay. Yeah. Um, and um, and then also that talented 10 thing. So, you know, I don't understand why a person wouldn't want to put pressure on their thinking to grow.
0: Yeah. yeah. Right? That's, it's exciting. That's, That's kind of where that, you know, when I when I read Robin's first book, that's that's that was the overarching message I got. I actually wrote a very in-depth piece on it, like, you know, just my thoughts on Robin and her work and stuff. And I said, hey, her first book, White Fragility, like the main message I got was we all hate criticism. We all hate, you know, we all get defensive, right? Like you're a writer, too. Like you've been writing forever. Like I've been writing like not at your level, but like when anybody critiques me, part of me, the ego comes out. It's like yeah. you know, right? So I'm like, so it's crazy to think in all other areas we can get defensive, but not when someone confronts. It's not a racial issue, you know what I mean? Because oh, that's yeah. that's what I got from her first book. So so yeah, but here's here's where I get conflicted as someone in recovery because, uh, and I think we we kind of touched on it because when, when we get sober, right? I I got it. I had to get into a mindset. I was blaming the rest of the world for my problems, right? right like I remember when I when I did my fourth step before I knew everything that was involved, I got to write the first column of all my resentments. How miserable is
1: that document? Oh, you had a good
2: time. Oh, in the
0: first column, yeah. But then when my sponsor told me about the other stuff and I had to look at myself and what, but but yeah, because I just thought the whole world was screwy, but then I had to start taking personal accountability, right? Things, uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes is like, we made decisions based on self, which placed us in a position to be hurt. I remind myself of that every single day. So we were talking about, uh, you know, mistakes we've made in the past or like uh, aspects of racism. It's this personal accountability. Now, now, here's here's one of the, the things that I wanted to talk with you so bad about when you came okay. on, because yeah. there's so much conversations around Facebook and social media and mm-hmm. misinformation and how social media affects mental health for young people and everything. But even talking about like all these things, it comes back, I'm always trying to think like, well, how much responsibility do people have, right? Like mm-hmm. like you with your work, you can't just publish whatever the hell you want. You fact check things, you research, you know. So when I look at these these guidelines they want to put on, you know, uh when they talk about regulations and fact mm-hmm. checking and oh, they spread misinformation, I'm like, you know, we're just completely getting rid of people's personal responsibility where people can just do everything all willy-nilly, you know, because I I see trying to stop misinformation or when i look at like instagram right where they're like oh you know young women or you know i'm like okay well that's more of a a a comparison issue right like i teach my son like don't compare don't compare your insides to someone else's outsides right like something we learned in the rooms yes so that's what i'm getting at whether it's race whether it's misinformation you know uh or you talked about you know just certain uh successful black people because that's what Uh, some people say is like, well, if you just work hard enough and that's why I get conflicted because there is this sort of, yes, you have to work hard, but I am very, Hey, the system is thought and we need to Mm -hmm. make changes. So where do you find that balance for personal responsibility, working hard, Mm fact-checking your own shit, taking care of your own mental health and also, Hey, systems are messed up and we need to make a change. Where's that balance for you?
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, that is, that's a tricky question. I mean, I you know, I had this other this may sound like a dodge, but I promise that I'll land in the right place. <laughs> um, I had this podcast, Trump cast during the four plus years of the Trump presidency. And um I was confused about where it fit with my sobriety because there was a lot of savage indignation and seemingly righteous anger on that show, which is something that, you know, I think it says like, righteous anger something like righteous anger is the dubious privilege of other men right yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't have it quite li- right quite right but we've forfeited right we forfeited our right to righteous anger because yeah. righteous anger kind of helped do us in you know when mm-hmm. it was everybody else's fault um and you know i have really had to check and see is this running away with me you know there must be Mitch McConnell is not the devil. And this is a really, right? He just isn't. Yeah. And, um, and there was a time when, so, okay. So essentially, what I told myself is that for this short period of time, for the four years, and, and, you know, my intention was to change careers if there was a reelection. So I just thought I would go to social work because working one-on-one when you do this working one-on-one with people is like so rewarding Mm -hmm. and but journalism had a purpose and you're meant to be a worker among workers and part of the purpose I thought in this was speaking truth to power and those Mm. that's another moral commitment I have so and I had to constantly turn over my capacity for hatred for contempt for anger Mm -hmm. you know and that was a spiritual practice that um became was even more important to me in the time. And really look at the size of the threat. So for example like mm. to the extent that I, you know, seemed to or felt irritated by like Don Jr. for his personality, that's not a place to focus. You know, there are always annoying people in the rooms, <laughs> yeah. you know. And um, but I did feel like and do feel like I had a stake in democracy and that I needed to use my voice um, to that end. But Mm. there was this day I was like sitting outside and I was thinking about forgiveness. And I was thinking if it didn't go all the way, then there was no use in it. Mm. And that it had to be not like, I forgive non-annoying people or I forgive people, you know, in my class tribe you know which is like different from the race thing like you know i don't have any trouble with sober say black people or sober pulitzer prize winners or sober i'm sorry or black pulitzer prize winners or black you right that's not Mm -hmm. an issue but yeah herman cain right black people on the wrong side say yeah and there's like a possible like oh that may maybe trips me up Or, and the person that I focused on, like, did a meta meditation for was Roger Stone. I just decided, Mm. Roger Stone, you know, there's something so galling about him and he's such a deliberate troll. Yeah. If I could, like, find peace with Roger Stone as someone who, like, draws in oxygen like I do, just anything. Or someone who maybe has been out of control in his life in ways that are probably uncomfortable for him. Then I could be at peace in the world and I could be a better activist, you yeah. know, because I wouldn't just be chipping off jokes at the expense of Dodd Jr. You know, that's mm-hmm. not, that's not activism. Um, although I've definitely done that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Every now and then we got it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah yeah, de- yeah. 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 Kids, we're like far from perfect and we all love gossip and we all love getting it, making yeah. a joke, a quip on Twitter, a month. Yeah. Uh, as for social media and re- personal responsibility, I, you know, I think it, I think it works two ways. I mean, one thing that's interesting, I think, to other people about Alcoholics Anonymous is that we do nothing to ban substances, right? Like, mm. it's not like we're for recriminalization of marijuana or, or. Like abolition or
0: something. Or like yeah, of
1: right. it, yeah. <laughs> Or yeah, exactly. No abolition, no, no temperance movement, no getting on the wagon or trying to persuade other people, um. To stop, it's just our thing, right? So you don't really want to think. I mean, it's not our job to think systemically about what has to change at Facebook, because if there's something that promotes a kind of hyper arousal on Instagram, say, like the inspiration or like pictures of skeletal Mm -hmm. bodies that Mm -hmm. inspire responses in girls, um, are are said to, and I'm not totally sure about that. Then there is also. At the level of the girl consuming it, a need to distance herself from what she's seeing and, you know, and find the kingdom of heaven within her, you know, or yeah. find, right. And those are kind of, if something's hyper arousing online, that's a moment to look to your body as a cue that this is intoxicating, you mm-hmm. know, and potentially could lead to self-destruction or other destruction in the like you know building up to January 6th Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: it's time to take a step back right like a time to just say no um but I also um think that there's something very particular and I'm not a constitutional scholar and I don't know exactly how this would would be regulated although there's some ideas around it There's particular kind of speech, snuff and porn in, you know, and I think that the inspiration site is a kind of snuff. You're looking at a body as close to death as possible, Mm -hmm. boggling the bones of that body that doesn't belong in the human, just creates way too much cortisol Mm -hmm. to circulate and way too much arousal to circulate. You know, Mm -hmm. like reading a book on a piece of paper and on paper is like a calm process and Mm. forward and tweeting and seeing a lot of arousing language and images is not a calm one. So to the extent that like we pause, you know, that thing in AA, you know, we pause before we do things to the extent that there's no pause possible. I think that there's like a bad dance of death between, say, Facebook and individuals, and I don't know exactly how that gets controlled at the level of facebook. I don't like the targeting yeah um I mean there's you know something can be there could be cruel situations like war or um you know that or or a pandemic that we don't blame ourselves for, you know mm-hmm. the personal responsibility doesn't have a role in um every step of the pandemic yeah you know like it, it, or you start saying that person deserved to get covid or that person deserved cancer yeah. you know and that just seems kind of wrong life on yeah. life's terms right um here's um one more thing about that is not a recovery thing but just is a um it's kind of a parenting thing so I feel as though social media has been treated like sex used to be treated by the true love weights crowd, like basically a bad abstinence, like how long, how, you know, 20 minutes a day, or mostly you have to jump off or you can't spend time on it. And that ignores the fact that this is where we live now. So what I try to tell my kids and what I've said in talks sometimes is that this is an artistic literary act online maybe it's just dog roll maybe it's just silly instagram images and they can hardly be called art but you're creating an avatar online like mm-hmm. your isn't your current twitter handle like one of those halloweeny twitter handles yeah boo something right so like yeah you know and like that lights you up and that's great and i've done uh, i've done round yon virginia heffernan you
2: know like
1: <laughs> And, um, for Christmas and I think that those moments or the like really witty mind opening moments that you sometimes see on Twitter and I don't mm-hmm. use Instagram or t- or Facebook. So those are a bit different, but they're moments that you're creating an avatar with like, uh, with like, um, virtuosity and flourish yeah. and creativity and, um, One thing we don't seem to talk enough about is the thing that our kids want to talk about, which is creating that avatar. Like you're, you know, say using, say you're you're using all lowercase or you're using a certain meme or you're using like those are choices and interesting choices you're making. Mm -hmm. And you can think of yourself as a powerful artist who say, let's say you, I don't know why I'm stuck on these. The, the teenage girls, but say you make a decision to like, take your top off in a picture. That is a decision that various artists and women have made through the ages that has mm-hmm. consequences and is interesting and might be rebellious and it might not be, but, and it might be, it might make you vulnerable, but mm-hmm. you're not just in a world of predators. You're in a world where you're making interesting decisions Mm -hmm. and that's where you come it comes to responsibility which is like what you used to teach your kids about going to a dance a school dance like my mother did was not like don't go at all yeah it was and it wasn't for in her case she didn't wasn't like cover up and the boys want to get you or whatever it was more like oh here's a fun way to handle when someone asks you to dance and you don't want to dance what do you say when you were supposed to go with one guy and you're interested in another guy or yeah. whatever. Those are like moral decisions, aesthetic decisions
2: yeah. that people
1: have made forever, and that you can start helping kids to architect sturdy, powerful avatars. You know, my yeah. online, I don't know about your Twitter avatar, but my avatar is much less vulnerable than I am in life, right? She's like, yeah. take sniper fire for me. And she's like, gotta, like, you know, funny handle and like, you know, is willing to clap back in a way that I would never do in person. But that's yeah. the point. She's mm. not me, you know? Yeah. And I am the thing that can't be digitized. Like, yeah. it makes me look closer to the real me, to like my oh. soul, when all that other stuff, the good pictures with the perfect, you know, di- like post-production, siphons off my vanity and my competitive streak and my you know bolder side yeah and i always say that my first name online when i was nine was athena because <laughs> who doesn't want to be a warrior a wise warrior when you're nine right yeah. and so basically i'm still nine and and my avatar is still athena and the delta between them is still enormous and that's yeah. how i like it that's how i like it
0: yeah yeah and, and I, I i think you know, that's like, one of my concerns, you know, just while the conversations is sometimes I feel like we're trying to baby proof everything, right. Got to make sure there's no misinformation. Got to make sure they're not seeing this. And, and, you know, and I'm just like, because for example, when we got sober, like they said, Hey, you know, the alcohol and drugs, those are just a symptom of the problem. I'm like, what? Right. And I had to get down to the root. So the way I, Mm. my whole sobriety and the way I look at life is what's the root of the issue. So when I look at when I look at, you know, the misinformation, when I look at, you know, the mental health issues of comparison and stuff, I'm like, okay, well, where's the root, right? Yeah. And then I look at society and, you know, how, you know, the consumerism and how we're looking at, oh, well, this is what you need to be uh, valued and perfect and pretty. and stuff. I'm like, okay, those seem to be the roots, how the messaging yeah. we're giving and stuff. So that's my concern because if we start just looking at What's being posted and all that, we're just going to be constantly chasing our tails, yes. you know, rather than getting to the root. But, um, but yeah, yeah I, I think,
1: I think that's, ahead. I think, I just, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about people who turn to YouTube for, um, medical information and, mm. you know, leading to anti vax, anti mask, you know, ivermectin. Um and I just you know looked at the numbers on vaccines. I don't know. I keep I keep putting these on Twitter because they're so hopeful to me. Yeah. You know, 65 and over, 96% of those 65 and over have gotten at least one dose of the vaccine.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's hard to be if you're not really anti-vax if you've had one shot, right? Like I think we can comfortably say. So What that suggests to me is that people over 65 who have Medicare, who feel cared about, who feel Mm -hmm. like a doctor is asking, don't have to be entrepreneurial and freestyle with their health and turn to YouTube to see if like probiotics or ivermectin or whatever could help them because someone's asking, how are you? And when I've tried to do outreach to anti-vaxxers or outreach to people without the vaccine to encourage them, you know, I think at least three or four of them said, nobody's ever been concerned about this before. Right. And so what you might find if you're going deep into YouTube, looking for answers on, you know, anything is Mm -hmm. the thing behind it is how much you want to be cared for. Yeah. You know, and you want someone, you wish someone just asked you like, you know, are you, you guys okay? Are you, are you, are you safe? Do you feel vulnerable to COVID? Um, you know, are your lungs okay? Like, it's just the incredible power of that. I mean, my, my partner's parents are, are evangelicals. They are very, um, they're susceptible to the disinformation around like God, Jesus is my vaccine. Yeah, and They have a, you know, one of their sisters, one of their brother-in-law was, went, was like Medevac because he was anti-vax and he got it late Ooh. in life and he almost died. So they might've gone that direction except they were here in the US and their doctor was like, ah, we got the vaccine for you. We have the booster for you. And just getting that call means like, what use do you have for YouTube when you have like an actual person saying your name? Hey, Chris, it's time for you to get the vaccine. That's it. Right. Instead of like, oh, I've got to go out there and be entrepreneurial. So I do think the thing underneath the need to try to sort out, you know, God, how much Googling did you and I do when we were taking pills? It was (laughs) like, right. I was just like, you know, I'm not, I didn't have health insurance or for a lot of it, I didn't. So I like didn't have a doctor monitoring how much Mm -hmm. I was taking. So I was like, I'll just get what I can to feel better right now. Right. Yeah, And like went down plenty of holes. Like, did you ever go to RX finder? You steal some pills from someone and then you don't know what they are or you find them in your I I
0: just never trusted my dealers. So I would, (laughs) I would go Go and look. Yeah. I'm like, what is this?
1: And it would be like, if it's a hexagon and it's yellow, then it's this or whatever. And then I would be like, Out, pills who cares you
0: know. yeah maybe that's why we don't mind researching stuff and back checking stuff because we've spent that time you know True. researching the stuff we were putting in our bodies and all that but uh yes yeah yeah it's yeah it's it's really it's really interesting and that's why i'm glad we had this conversation because I, I like opening this up to more people too because like, like oh because there's a lot of wisdom that comes from the rooms of recovery and we keep it mm-hmm. we keep it within but i i like spreading like some of just the tips like for example you probably have this too i have a lot of Non-recovery friends who just come to me for advice, and I just regurgitate stuff that I've learned. And then,
2: <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'm like, hey, and then
0: they're like, "Oh, everything. you're a
1: Buddha, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly." Right. Um, I mean, I was actually just listening to a podcast about cults, and um, I wish I could remember the name of it, it. The woman guest was a had written a book about the language of cults. Um, was it Amanda Montel? Her? Is that who it is? Amanda. Yeah, she Montel. was on the yes. podcast. She's great. Bye. Oh, really okay, so she yeah. talks about recovery language because, mm-hmm. um, her yeah, her father was in, um, was briefly, I guess, in that really terrible, um,
0: yeah, I forgot the name of it
1: recovery what? cult. But yeah, now I'm forgetting the name of it. Yeah. But, um, she talks about the language of AA that we use, and you and I have used some. We talked here.
0: about that in our episode. Go check it out. Great. So that's funny, great.
1: <laughs> the thing that I was struck by though is. You know the worry that you're in a cult when you're in recovery, and my my current test for are you in a cult is are you happy, and how are you, are you acting ethically in the world,
2: oh. um,
1: and if those two things are met, even the other hallmarks of cult are don't bother me. You know, yeah, like like let's say someone is you know running ultra marathons, right, and they're completely happy, and it's not cutting so much into their time that they're not able to like be with their kids and do their job. And you know, when it's, when those things are met and when the people around you are like, man, Chris is a good guy, right? Like it, AA, someone else friend of mine was saying, wow, AA makes good citizens. Wasn't in the program. but just like, what would you want if you were designing a society? You would want some people who were prone to drinking a lot, sit together and find solutions to their problems about literally how to be better people. I mean, it's pretty corny.
2: Yeah, And um,
1: and so that's my idea of why either it's a harmless and even useful cult or, you know, it doesn't deserve that name. Um, But uh, anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to, I want to ask you one more question, but real quick, fun story yeah like the, the making good citizens there was one time when a uh, uh, local uh group was having a picnic right and i had to catch a plane so yeah. i just stopped by to say hi i'm leaving i'm in a hurry i'm about to be late to the airport as i go there's a guy pushing his car into the parking lot i go over i help him real quick and i'm like hey are you good like i gotta go he's like do you have any jumper cables i'm like no but you see that picnic over here I guarantee if you go over there and ask for help, someone will help. And I just left. And I know for a fact he got help because, that's what people do in recovery. Like they're just, you know, I remember when I came in and and somebody said something about like, Oh, AA will brainwash you. And they were like, well, we're the type of people we need our brains washed. Like they are very,
1: like, yeah, they got a lot of mold in there. So so I
0: absolutely agree. And that's kind of what I talked with Amanda about, but I want to, I want to talk to you all day, but I just want to ask you one more question for everybody listening and stuff, because uh, I'm somebody who's constantly keeping up with the news. I write, I cover things and all that. Yeah. And so do you. So like in this world of chaos, right? Like political polarization, like January 6th happening. My, you know, just there's global warming. There's, you know, yeah. news every day. Just how, like we, we have to stay sober because to relapse might mean death for us, right? Yep. So yep. how do you deal with the world What's some advice that you can give that you personally use to stay sane with just when everything seems like it's crashing down and we're about to hit the apocalypse.
1: So, um, a recent philosopher of the environment was saying there's three things that we're about to get into, um, or require the next century will require of us mitigation. So those are the things we know about mitigating, um, climate effects. So like, uh, you know. Getting moving to electric vehicles, putting the oil companies out of business, big oil mm-hmm. out of business, um, whatever that looks like, switching to solar. Adaptation are things that are like uh, creating cold rooms in Portland or maybe even near you, um, you know, uh, uh, creating warm municipal swimming pools to keep people cool, oh. um, raising highways so they don't sink in Florida. Um, and then the last one is suffering. And he says it depends on how much, you know, we don't know the balance of what each person is going to do, mm. mitigate, adapt, or, or suffer. And I really think that addressing suffering first and realizing, you know, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional, as some mm. people in AA say, that, you know, and um, that meditation, um, that, um, you know, a degree of whatever sobriety looks like for you um, being honest with yourself, but also gentle with yourself. So, um, you know, honesty might be I'm an alcoholic or it might be, you know, I really did hit that person and that was or, wrong.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: making amends, you know, t- um, taking responsibility um, wherever it seems, it you know, it seems warranted. And then letting the rest go is a way to ease the suffering part of that. Um, oh. And then work toward mitigation and adaptation. Um, And because the suffering, if you're just suffering, so you're telling yourself it's people with big cars or it's people in Vegas casinos that are like over, you know, who've sucked out the water from the earth by building golf courses and whatever, then you are suffering. You're just grinding in things Mm -hmm. in your own head. Um, And if you're not doing that, then you have an opportunity to move, to, to think wisely and creatively about what's next. Um, and the last thing I'll say is a lot of humans ha- need want to seek arousal and hyperarousal. That's how you get addiction. Um, we just like to feel. And sometimes some of us like to feel more. Yeah. And if you find yourself jonesing for creepy videos about ivermectin and deworming or about um how horrible don jr is or you want to see a picture of him shot and lying in pieces or trump you're just thinking a little too much about like you want his head on a pike he must be Mm -hmm. in jail right maybe you're it's time to step back right (laughs) maybe it's time to just like i don't know do like for us let's go to a meeting reach out to another alcoholic maybe it's time to give someone Like, you know, get up and see that someone's stuck and needs their jumper cables or just open Mm -hmm. the door for someone or just like the smallest thing that will remind you to live here now, not in
0: quest of those peak experiences yeah no absolutely i i love it i love it virginia and yeah like i said i i will we'll probably have to do this again sometime i realize that you have a book so i'm gonna i'm gonna get that and read it so maybe we'll have you back on to talk about the internet and all sorts of stuff oh, yes so yeah but for now for now so everybody who just fell in love with you and all back where <laughs> where can they find you oh, uh yeah. what stuff are you working on and all that good stuff so we can keep up with you
1: So you can get, this is critical, the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, as they say, it's called, this is critical. And it's, uh, um, we treat cultural subjects using cultural, using critical theory, but, um, but it's, it's, um, we have really fun and interesting guests. So don't expect it to be too much of a grind. Um, and, um, I write a week, a monthly column for WIRED um i write for the la times and i also have like everyone a sub stack and i can't remember the exact name of it um uh it's linked in my t- how about you know what i'm just gonna give you my twitter handle yes. at page 88 at page 88 is the best way to find me and i think i put up there pretty much everything i'm doing yeah um, and
0: i will i will i will find your Substack, and i'm gonna link all that stuff down below so thank you everybody will find it but yeah virginia there is This was so much fun and yeah, I I appreciate the conversation and we'll, we'll definitely be doing this again.
1: Thank you so much, Chris. You're just such a lovely presence and it's been so great to get to know you on Twitter and now you're.
0: Absolutely. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Virginia. She is such a fantastic person. And yeah, I hope you all gain some value from that. And like I said, like, even if you're not in recovery, there are a ton of tips and tools that you can learn from other people. And I don't just learn from people, you know, who are in recovery. I try to, you know, every single book I read, that's why I read so much. I truly believe that every single thing not just that you read, but every piece of content that we can consume, there's something that we could take away from it, which can help us, you know, just better deal with everything from day to day. So that's one of the reasons I love chatting with Virginia and love her writing. So make sure you head down to the description, make sure you're following her, check out her podcast, check out her book. And yeah, like we said, hopefully she'll come back on once I finish reading her book. But yeah, before I let you go, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul so you don't miss. Any upcoming episodes, any projects I'm working on, I've been writing a ton lately. I actually, just this morning, before editing this bonus episode, I wrote a Substack piece. So you won't miss any of that as long as you're following me on social media. Make sure you're following the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever it is. And if you want to help the podcast, make sure you share it. If you like this episode or any other episode, share it out on social media. All right. And don't forget, there are links down below. Uh, I have two new books that are 100% free. And there's also an affiliate link for BetterHelp Online Therapy. It's affordable. It's online. You work with a licensed therapist. I've personally used it. And I know a lot of people who have. So if you want to check out BetterHelp Online Therapy, use that affiliate link and a little bit comes back and helps support the podcast as well. All right. But anyways, I hope you all are having an amazing weekend uh if you're listening to it on the day that i've released this i hope you have a very happy halloween all right but yeah we'll be back uh this coming week with a bunch more episodes with some awesome authors so have a good one